Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're all trying to survive Excalibur number 112, Survival, in which Megan forgets she can fly and pays the horrible price of becoming an unwilling participant in Piotr Rasputin's Hurt Comfort holodeck fantasy. Excalibur number 112 was originally published in August 1997, and the creative team is Ben Robb on writing, Pete Woods on pencils, Scott Koblish on inks, Kevin Tinsley on colors, Richard Starkings and Comicraft on letters, and Matt Idelson and Paul Tatron on editing. Welcome back to the Robisance. We're surviving this week, as I said, but this issue did get some sensible chuckles out of me, and I have to be grateful for that. Um, but who are we starting with myself? I am Dr. Anna Papard. You surely know my deal by now. Sexy, gendery, comics, pop culture, sequential scholar, Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager. And honestly, he's pretty solid in this one. Um, he's looking swank yep. in the club. He's killing Pete with kindness, crashing <laughs> private parties with his tail. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, I am joined, as always, by Mav. Are you coming in hot or cold this week? I mean, it's fine. <laughs> this is just like, oh, this is fine. This is a weird book. You, you said in the intro, Megan forgets she can fly. There's a lot of people forgetting their <laughs> literal mutant powers in this book that people are like, uh, I, I, I have so many questions, but, you know, do I hate this? No. Do I love this? No. I mean, it's a relatively inoffensive 22 pages of comic i guess that's that's fine but hi my name is christopher maverick you can call me matt <laughs> i'm the co-host of this show and another show called vox popcast i'm i'm teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design at the university of pittsburgh and most of my research talks about gender sexuality race class and pop culture especially comics and pro wrestling and tv shows and stuff like that um you know, this comic, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it is fine. It is fine. I mean, I know we have had a couple of comments about us being hard on the Robisons, and I do feel bad because a lot of these issues are like, are fine. But, you know, we have a certain perspective as, as folks who have been podcasting about this thing for 100 and whatever, 123 episodes, I think, uh, at this point. But anyway, anyway, getting so off topic, we need to get through our intros and get to our guests. So, Andrew, please tell me you're surviving in the wake of us submitting our 30 plus page sequential scholars grant application yesterday 
I am. I also submitted a 38,000 manuscript draft the same day. So Holy today shit. is like ooh, today is like first day of summer. 38,000 uh, word manuscript. Word. Okay. Yeah. You said wow. that and it's like, wait, you mean pages? Because that would be Well, if we counted like lot. the Claremont run, we'd be close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm awesome, Dr. J. Andrew DeMann. I'm a lecturer at St. John's University and co-project lead Sequential Scholars, which is going to get a comics laboratory this year, I'm sure of it. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that tonight's guest bullied me into playing Elden Ring, which I did, and it was fantastic and earned me a whole lot of respect from my students. Oh, <laughs> bullied you you asked me about it <laughs> contention already on the pod all right let's introduce our esteemed guest so us regular misfits are joined this week by a stupendous scholar who was specifically attracted by my description of this comic as fun trash uh the pod is very excited to welcome one matthew Poulter. hello matt hello how are you all doing good well we're we're surviving as we've as we've established <laughs> hopefully that will main, remain true over the course of the yeah the the application process of any kind of grant is is so bad I don't know if I could adequately describe it to anyone who isn't in academia other than just like the most work you've ever done and the most stressed you've ever been about it for possibly nothing. Yeah. For an imaginary project that you may or may not get to do that has all of the years, the individual years of it costed with the tasks of all the different people employed in it broken down again for an imaginary thing that you might not get to do, which I understand. Like the government wants to know how they're spending their money. I get it, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, Anyway, let's introduce you, Matt, and then we'll we'll get right into your comics origin story. So Matthew Poulter is a fifth-year PhD student in the Communication and Culture program at York University with a previous background in film studies at Carleton University. I didn't know that we went to the exact same schools, Matt. I'm also a Carleton <laughs> and York person. Um, anyway, That's his primary amazing. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, right? His primary research is on Japanese media, along with the evolution of fan culture, narrative and video games, and sexuality in comics. His current doctoral research is on the depictions of weaponized sexuality in Japanese popular culture. I'm hoping there'll be some intersections with this comic today. I'm sure you're gonna have thoughts. So so Matt, we know each other from around, though not from attending our respective schools. I don't think our paths really crossed at York too much because we're a little bit staggered but um yeah let's get to know you a little better we always do comics origin stories with first-time guests so that's what we're gonna do with you too are you a a lifelong reader of comics or if if not when did you when did you fall for this medium so I, I I would say yes just in the sense that like if it wasn't with reading comics in particular like comic adjacent media has been a thing mm. with me pretty much as far back as I can remember um, I believe there's pictures of me dressed up as Batman at age three, <laughs> if I want Aww. to say, if that's accurate. So, yeah, so I've definitely been very aware of them for quite a long time. And in fact, I was going to say someone on this podcast actually kind of features in my my comic origin story because my initial foray into post-secondary was at the University of Waterloo, where I signed up for a yeah. science fiction course uh, taught by one J. Andrew DeMann, and I was like, okay, science fiction literature sounds great. And one of the required readings for that was Watchmen, which at the time I was kind of vaguely familiar with because of like having seen 
some adaptations of Alan Moore's work and being familiar with his work on Batman and the like. But that was kind of my first foray into, I guess, what we would call like the, you know, the non-superhero world and the like. And that's kind of really continued on ever since. Okay, well, let me ask you a little bit about your academic work. Like I know a lot of your work is on games. Obviously, that's the the focus of your your dissertation. But how does some of that intersect with comics? Like what kinds of things have, have you explored regarding comics or have you looked at intersections between games and comics? I've looked at those. Um, a lot of the stuff that I've actually presented on over the last while has like, because of my emphasis on Japanese media, like I've talked right. a lot about manga over the last couple of years. And that's been, uh, that's actually led me to things like some, like the, the Montreal Comic Arts Conference and the like, mm. and uh, just kind of getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, some of the real specific stuff that's kind of unique to that which there's a lot of especially nowadays there's a lot of intersection in the worlds of western comics and eastern comics i would say at least like stuff made in north america really seems to like it i can't speak to like the entire western world but in terms of scholarship i mean you know i've i've written you know i've written stuff for classes on all kinds of comics i literally took a course uh, like in my film studies background on the adaptation of comics into film format and this was even like pre the mcu really taking off so it's uh it's it's kind of like even when i'm not directly working on something related to comics comics almost always seem to factor into it in some way shape or form so i kind of can't escape it and i've kind of just given up trying (laughs) (laughs) well uh, i feel bad with this question because the answer absolutely can be no but what are we looking at in terms of your familiarity with like the x-men franchise in particular so I think like a lot of children of the late 80s and early 90s, my initial exposure to the X-Men was the 90s cartoon with its absolute banger of a theme song. And mm-hmm. um, just honestly, like I've gone back in retrospect and checked out plenty of it and like some honestly like pretty on the ball adaptations of some of the bigger plot sequences. Like, you know, I had I had strong thoughts about, you know, like Days of Future Past and uh, the Apocalypse Saga and the like, like even back as a kid, like despite having never picked up the comics. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually like relatively current on current X-Men stuff because a good friend of mine who is not an academic just a card carrying nerd is very 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 into say like the john the jonathan hickman run on Mm x-men and the like so he gives me tons of information on that whether i ask him to or not (laughs) Um, especially when i don't um so (laughs) as a result like again x-men is one of those things that like even when i wasn't actively reading it like i was very aware of it like it it's been a presence that I would say like plenty of other superheroes really have not been until like the last like, you know, 10 or 20 years in my life. Well, what's your perspective on the franchise? Like, do you have enough perspective on it to have a sense of, I mean, what differentiates it? I mean, our podcast certainly is part of this vibrant fan culture that (laughs) seems to be endless and limitless for X-Men comics. And it's had a particular resurgence in like the last five years. So yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about, I don't know, what makes this particular franchise of superheroes Special if it is special. Uh, do, do you want my more insightful response or my like fan argument response? Give us both, <laughs> Matt. I love both. <laughs> so insight for the insightfulness, I, I want to say like, and this is probably nothing new either. I, I, I'm being a little even pretentious by saying insightful. But um, I would say that like it, it, it really is, I think, kind of a shame in the way that 
I think X-Men to a large extent has not quite gotten the same massive pop culture push over the last decade or so that a lot of other franchises have. And I'm sure that's solely due to the fact that for a good chunk of time, like Disney did not have the rights to X-Men in terms of the filmscape. I remember seeing a lot of argument when uh, one of my other big interactions with Marvel Comics in particular is the Marvel versus Capcom fighting game franchise. Oh, someone was talking about that recently on the pod. Yeah, and the most recent iteration of that basically featured no X-Men characters, no Fantastic Four characters, Uh. and the like due to like multimedia licensing reasons which is unfortunate because like wolverine was always like one of the primary like fan favorite characters in that so i i think it's a real disservice and you know i i meet a lot of like younger audiences who like really get into these things of the movies and they really do not have much of a knowledge of x-men which is unfortunate because like it's this really storied franchise that kept the company afloat quite literally for quite a long period of time and it's got this 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 rich tapestry of plot lines iconic ones and like subtle ones alike just like one of the most impressive casts of characters in the comic book world like you think about the extended universes of just about any comic franchise and x-men i would argue has as many like key players and like even just cool secondary ones as like entire other franchises or entire other universes do, which to me is just like, it's like tailor made to be like everyone's favorite. So like, how can it not be a ton of people's favorite? Yeah. I mean, I always get, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the pod before, but I always get interested when, I mean, it'll be like indie comics creators or like anybody, like people who don't primarily make superhero comics and like, they'll just be, you know, (laughs) posting to Twitter or other social accounts. Just like, I just felt like drawing some X-Men because who doesn't want to draw Storm? Everybody wants to, like, who doesn't want to draw Nike? crawler who doesn't want to draw wolverine like i don't know so many people grew up with these characters even even when in a lot of cases they moved on to other things but that affection remains well and uh, a, a funny one that i always encounter is that like just about anyone in like my age demographic like if you ever talk about the subject of early childhood crushes everyone of every gender identity of sexuality regardless mm-hmm. like has at least one pick from the 90s cartoon yeah <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the 90s cartoon, people should go read Austin Gorton's write-up on the Uncanny Experience in-person fan con thing in Minnesota that he was able to attend because he lives oh, there because yeah. uh, oh. it was it was sort of mostly focused around the around the cartoon and sort of geared to the X-Men 97 thing coming out although that's been delayed so it didn't quite match right. up but um but yeah a really interesting fan convention with like a lot of experiential elements I mean Chris Claremont was there like teaching a class on mutant history in a huge mansion ballroom <laughs> so it was like pretty <laughs> weird but yeah uh we'll, we'll link that in the show notes let me just ask you another question about about your research a little bit Matt which is I don't know what aspects of the comics medium particularly interest you as a scholar like are you more interested in representational elements are you more interested in formal elements like if i did the horrible why comic studies question to you what might your answer be i ask the the question that uh, depending on who's asking it to you the tone is often very very different yeah that's um, point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is it, is it is it oh why comic studies or why comic studies <laughs> um I, you know what it is like i have this long-running fascination with the who what when where why and how of popular culture in general and especially nowadays but even like well leading up to this current like boom we're 
like seemingly never endingly in at this point of superhero media like i find it so interesting just how much how much interest there is in this stuff academically but also like just how people who aren't readily immersed in this stuff are just sm- so dismissive of it at the same time I, I like so many film professors i had at a certain point would like just never touch a comic book movie with a 10-foot pole you know mm-hmm. and it's it's that kind of thing of i'm i'm sitting there going like i i have a real issue with the way a lot of academics talk about things that are popular for lack of a better term. Whereas I'm sitting there going like, you know, I I'm not too good for things that are popular. I like things that are popular. They're often popular for quite a good reason. And I'd also be like, you know, completely lying if I didn't say that, like, listen, I'm, I'm someone who, if I get bored of what I'm working on, I will not work on it. You know, if, if academia, if if academia is going to be a thing for me, which is, you know, is my intention at this point, I would think would be obvious. It, it, It has to involve something that I'm genuinely intellectually curious about in terms of study. So, I mean, I like that, like comics studies just kind of comes naturally at that point, especially given, you know, especially like when you teach, I'm sure like some of you have encountered this as well. Like when you teach like younger generations these days, especially there's this huge love of visual media nowadays. And like, I I have, you know, friends who teach high school who comment on how all their kids read manga nowadays. So, you know, it's like why comic studies, I would just say like, cause it's interesting cause it's everywhere. And because for some reason people seem to just think that's like, Oh, there's no point in studying this. I'm like, no, if it's, it's popular and it's everywhere and people like it it's probably worth looking into oh i certainly hope that the society of the social sciences and humanities research council of canada is listening to that um (laughs) explanation of why comic studies matter and why it's for any personal reason just just in general i want to laugh (laughs) give us money (laughs) i like money We work hard. <laughs> um, oh, anyway. And actually, sorry, but before we move on, I just I promised also like my my fan comment on X Men. Oh yeah, that's before right. I we, compl- didn't, we didn't do that. Please hit us with us. I I, I I completely missed it, but it was a case of like, listen, I I have been hearing plenty of comments online of people like retroactively discovering X-Men, be it in various formats and whatnot. And I have heard the slanderous comment that Gambit is not an interesting character and that his powers are useless and of no interest. And I will physically (laughs) challenge anyone making this point to an altercation of their choice. (laughs) Wow. Don't broadcast that online. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 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 this, this is of course said in jest. The 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 altercation can be mental as well, but uh, but, but no, that that's that's my official fan perspective. Is I I will not hear this this slanderous commentary on Remy LeBeau and his magnificence and just wow. the, the aspect of that that he's like one of the coolest characters in the history of fiction. So you know what? There, wow. there's the gauntlet. I don't know that I'm you know, that far, but like I, I think I, you're, I can, you've got a point up until then. <laughs> I I can be hot and cold on Remy sometimes, but I will say that when I used to play X Men Legends, my team was usually Storm, Jean, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler. But if I subbed one of them out, Gambit would be my five. 
because doing this like the the staff power where you like slam staff the ground with the staff awesome. and it makes every, that was yes. so cool so like awesome. being yeah. cool is gambit's thing and i have to agree with you there matt his fine sorry not to interrupt his mm-hmm. final move in the marvel versus capcom franchise is royal flush in which he charges an entire <laughs> deck mm-hmm. hits the other awesome. fighter with the entirety of it 52. and you get a big explosive finale yeah. and it's perfect 52 hit That's combo great. i i just <laughs> are people really i mean I'm not the hugest Gambit fan in the world. He's fine. Not, 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 I mean, I, no, I mean, I, like, I have no problem with anything that you just said. But like, people really think Gambit is the lamest character. Gambit's not the. I mean, there. I can think of far few, far more, more <laughs> uninteresting characters. You know, we we literally go back an issue and listen to us talk about Rory. You know, like, well, just... maybe maybe Remy's been hurt by his portrayal in the X Men movies. I mean, he hasn't had a good run. No, no, that's true. So I just, I've, I've seen plenty of people just co- like I, exactly like I, I agree with you completely. Like, like all hyperbole and you know nerd rage aside, like yeah. yes, I, I would not, I would not necessarily argue that he actually is the greatest character in there. But like, yeah, I've, I've unironically seen people go like, no, he's the most. Like he's like like the dumbest, most useless, most whatever X Men character, and I'm like, oh come on, it wouldn't even oh. be in the bottom fifty. I know. I see that said about <laughs> Scott a lot, and I and I and that is that is patently untrue. I, I think people are yeah. like, well, Scott. Uh, when people who have a problem with Scott, it's because they are fanboying over Wolverine, and usually Wolverine and Jean, and it's like, mm. it, it's like no, Scott's a very. I mean, it was like, yeah, but he's not cool. He's not supposed to be cool. That's what makes him interesting. <laughs> not understanding yeah. that they all love each other go read gene gray number two i know uh well i mean i literally again once again i did a whole thing about this like a year ago and in, in, in a panel a lovely panel that anna organized <laughs> uh like it's but yes they like scott is always even before the canonical polyamory that they're doing now scott was always interesting he's not cool sometimes characters are interesting because they're not the one-dimensional look i kill people and i'm badass character right he's not cool on purpose yes exactly yes that's called good writing (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's what makes him an interesting character yes and i see i will say matt i have a picture saved on my phone that i saved while i was reading comics because i thought it was cool of remy charging a metro card and throwing it at somebody and so i have a healthy respect (laughs) for the diversity of his awesome powers who hasn't wanted to do that at some point in their life the metro card the metro card's useful (laughs) because sometimes you just have to give the system a middle finger even when it accomplishes nothing of value I don't, I don't live somewhere with a working subway. So like whenever I'm in a town that has a, I, well, okay. There is a subway in my, t- in my town in Pittsburgh. There's a subway that has four stops. <laughs> what? Still a yeah, subway? Uh, um, yeah. Well, I, it's I, a, it, 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 the T is uh Pittsburgh's train uh, transit system. It's a, well, we got buses too, which more people use it. We have a tran a transit system that is yeah part train, part trolley and part subway. So it goes underground briefly, but there's only like four stops on uh, underground. Then it comes back up above ground and it's like a train again. Huh. So oh. it's, it, it's very odd. Pittsburgh is a weird city. Huh. <laughs> I, I'm coming to you. I, I'm coming to you live from the capital of Canada, Ottawa, whose transit <laughs> system is so legendarily terrible. People know about it across the country. So <laughs> I've got some I've got some thoughts on trains. <laughs> I, I can't believe we're talking about transit instead of talking about this comic, but I do have to just briefly mention that 
one time I got in trouble for not paying for the O train in Ottawa. And honestly, it wasn't my fault. It was because at the time you needed exact change to put in that machine. And I was going to pay for the bus at the next stop anyway. So I didn't get a ticket because I was running and it was freezing cold and I was doing the best I could. And I went to like, I had to go to like the municipal office to like beg them to lower the ticket because it was like a $250 ticket and I was a student who had zero money. So I literally mm-hmm. had to go down to the municipal office and they met with me and I went into the office and literally just cried and they like have the ticket for me. <laughs> and it was one of the most humiliating experiences of my entire life and it has colored my opinion of Ottawa Transit forevermore. So had to share that formative <laughs> memory. <laughs> Oh, trust me, that sounds to just be like, I can't afford this. Like I'm on like (laughs) OSAP, like I don't have any money. I won't be able to eat if I have to pay this ticket. Like it's so unfair. That sounds awful. And also one of those situations where I, all I can say is I'm not even remotely surprised. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. 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 Let's talk about this comic. (laughs) Sorry, Bab. Did you have another thought on transit? No, not useful. I was going to ask if Canada will jail you for not paying a, a train ticket. Because I'm not convinced America wouldn't, you know? Yeah, <laughs> here, yeah. here you might be put away. I don't know. I don't know about your country. I don't know what would have happened. I don't know. I really don't. But I did. You have, have to fight to a moose. <laughs> <laughs> I'd lose. I'd 100% lose. Everyone so would. Great. That's the point. It's not an actual <laughs> challenge. They are very dangerous, heavy creatures. <laughs> Oh my god. Sorry, we keep okay. going on tangents today. This is like where my brain's at. Like yesterday I was listening to CBC radio and then I was having dinner with my dad while the radio was on. And then they were like, coming up, there's a grizzly bear attack in Alberta. And we were like, ooh, grizzly bear attack. That's exciting. And there were like two people died. And then I felt so bad. <laughs> like it's not funny. Like I'm like, oh God, I didn't like I didn't think it would be like yeah. that. We were both so excited for a second, but I was like, oh, that's really sad. Oh. <laughs> now i'm just picturing anna watching the revenant and just busting out the popcorn and the beers and just being like oh hell yeah grizzly bear attack bear attacks funny until they're not um anyway um let's talk about this comic and we'll we'll come right back to you matt for your first impressions once we get through the issue summary so i know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod (gasps) if you could fly and you inexplicably (laughs) forgot during a plane crash we definitely remind you before the plane actually crashed just to prove how helpful we are here's a plot summary we open in fire as colossus and megan but mostly colossus attempt to stop their previously exploded plane from crashing into the alps piotr reminds megan she can both fly and basically has phoenix powers but when she tries to apply said powers something interferes with her abilities prepare the fainting couch the plane crashes piotr is unharmed and so is megan mostly though she's weak and barely conscious but she does manage to mutter something about a tower to the northeast without a lot of other options piotr hoists her up and carries her in that direction elsewhere in germany kurt and pete wisdom are clubbing but kurt's not feeling the vibe still understandably heartsick about the abrupt departure of amanda while kurt mopes pete interrogates a dude who he believes knows something about the death of his friend Jardine. Later, Pete follows up on some info at a documents archive. He thinks he's alone, but surprise, Kurt followed him and insists on helping. Before they can argue further, someone starts shooting at them. Meanwhile, on Muir Island, Rain and Douglock are hanging, with Douglock using an image inducer to appear human. Rain tells him he doesn't have to do that, so he doesn't. Rain is writing in her diary, and Douglock wonders if it's about him. 
When she leaves the room, he guiltily peeks only to find she was writing about Moira, a prayer to save her from the legacy virus. At that point, Moira arrives and tries to put on a brave face, inviting the youngsters out for malteds, aka milkshakes. Finally, after a long snowy trek, Piotr and the unconscious Megan arrive at a strange technological citadel. Ooh, wonder who lives there? We'll find out later. So Matt, coming right back to you for your first impressions. Before we started recording, you said this comic made you go in a lot of different directions. So... What are you particularly eager to talk about? I, I just need to state for the record, and the, the, speaking as someone who, you know, I, I, I regrettably have not been following along for the entirety of this franchise, so apologies for the, uh, the, the newbie response, but I could not help but find it uproariously funny that I'm looking through the character list at the beginning and I'm seeing these just character descriptions, which are great for filling me in. And I'm looking through the characters and it's like Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, Colossus, Wolfsbane, Megan. <laughs> in Douglock. <laughs> yeah. Even Douglock was like, okay, but I'm just like, I, I, I cannot begin to just describe how like ridiculous I find it that like, you know, everyone has their cool super day powers. And then this person who ju- does have powers and does have like a whole history and everything. And is just a name. Well, she's well, got a cool could, spelling of her name. I know, and you could alternatively <laughs> say she's so iconoclastic that she doesn't need a superhero name. Though I, we've been trying to stand up for Megan. She's been in a bit of a strange story spiral lately. Yeah. <laughs> they they tried to give her a name for like one um, for on a trading card, and then everybody was like, "No, nah, we don't like it." So after they published the trading card, they're just like, "We'll just stick with Megan." She was tapestry ever so briefly, and she's Gloriana yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. but yeah, on the trading. But tapestry was never, I believe, was never actually used in a comic. It was only used in no. trading cards, right. and I believe in like a Mar- a Marvel universe, like a you know style bio. I don't think they ever. Anyway, Matt, said what other what other first impressions would you like to get off your chest? Like we, I'm sure we'll go more in depth of it because I, I did look at the notes ahead of time and see where some of the conversation is going to go. But the the scene, the, all the stuff of colossus dragging her along was the kind of thing that i was sitting there going like okay i see what this is doing and it's not like i don't inherently dislike this kind of storytelling but i was like there are so many other ways that this could have been made so much more interesting yeah i have i have a lot of issues with the with the (laughs) sort of daughter and megan plot i mean we'll get to it but like my main issue is like gosh this would have been so much more interesting if the roles were reversed like would have anyway what she had to carry him (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean at least at least it would have made more sense because and and see i don't know if matt knows because it it is very vague but understand because and and if you're not familiar with the character she can fly and she's invulnerable so it's not clear like she's very strong, she can fly and it's invulnerable. So when the plane was going down, she could have at any point grabbed him and flown away. Like that was that was an option they could have done at any point. She also is, you know, like Hulk level powerful. So it's not clear why she got knocked out. Um yeah. she has elemental Matt, powers. Yeah. Why is she cold? I don't know. <laughs> well, and I was I was sitting there going, like, I I Anna, I completely agree with like the role reversal idea or even like i don't know like maybe one of them gets flung a couple of kilometers in one direction after the crash and they each have to make their way individually like that could be cool yeah i would like that too i just yeah i mean like i want to do some more first impressions but i just 
anyway, yeah, let's do some more first impressions because I I, I don't want to go on a rant about that before we before we've done that. Andrew, how are you feeling about this one? I, I think I'm coming in the warmest on this issue relative to the rest of um, um, the panel. I, I think in light of what what Mav was saying earlier, and I agree with it, I, I think to me, this is a good comic in isolation and a bad comic in continuity. Okay, like if this yeah. is the only Excalibur comic you ever read. The art is really nice. It, it, it's a yeah. little bit cliche driven uh, and, and all of the, the character inconsistencies aren't going to bother you because you're not aware of them. So no, I, I enjoyed it on that level. I, I think I was able to to turn my continuity focus off for a little bit and enjoy some kind of cool art by wood yeah we're gonna get a few issues by him and i i do enjoy this art and yeah and i mean i like a bunch of the moments here it's just you know it's tough again because we've read all these issues and we've been like devoting an hour of discussion to every single one so it's like there'll be stuff like the rain and Douglock scene in this issue which i actually like and like the rain's little letter and everything is quite heartbreaking like that was a good moment and yet i just because i feel like i've seen it eight times already it doesn't affect me as much as it should because i agree that this is like a very competent issue other than the fact that i hate the piotr and megan plot but like other aspects of the comic are like really solid and if i spent my two bucks on this i'd be like yeah you know this was a (laughs) this was a decent comic i don't regret this purchase but it's like yeah it is hard within the context of of continuity for me to kind of feel the same way about it so i'm maybe being harder on it than i should but i'll try mav how are you feeling i know you were already like it's like fine but like (laughs) well okay so i like it a lot better than last month last week for us right um and so at, at reading it at the time you know, I was spending my two bucks on it every week, every week or whatever, or every month or whatever. And I was a completist, so I had the entire run. So it wasn't like I was there was any danger of me not buying it. But I, I was aware that nothing happened here. And the weird logical inconsistencies with almost every character kind of bugged me. I don't think it's offensive. I think that there are. Yes, you're right. The moment between Doug and um, and Rain is cute. It's heartfelt and it doesn't hold up to any scrutiny whatsoever. Like if you think about it for more than 30 seconds, it's <laughs> weird. And I'll, and I'll talk about it when we get to it. Like it's and like literally everything about that. I mean, the obvious one is the fact that Megan forgets she can fly. She's always been able to fly. It's not even one of her new powers. Like I would get it if she's like, oh, yeah, I have elemental powers. I forgot because that just happened last week. Right. But she's been able to fly most of her life. Eh. But, you know, it just doesn't occur to her. And that's weird and dumb and lame. And and there are forced. Yeah. And there are and that happens like it happens to an extent with the way Pete Wisdom and Nightcrawler interact with each other. It happens the way Rain and Douglock interact with each other. And like there are nice moments and then they're sort of betrayed by the fact that I'm not convinced the person who wrote this, Rob, um, like read more than one other Excalibur issue ever and he's written more than that so I don't understand how he's making these odd mistakes right (laughs) like it it reads like oh well you're not familiar with these characters except that he's he he is right like so why do that yeah who is he Tom King writing Batman I didn't say that oh don't get into that with Matt you want to fight You and Mav can take that up off the pod. <laughs> but I mean, I get your, I get your point. Each other. Well, I mean, that's actually relevant, right? Because if, because at least, and I'm, other others might see it a different way. I will acknowledge King 
ignores, wholly ignores continuity in his book, but it feels like it's done with intention when he does it. I'd agree with that. And this feels like Rob didn't read two issues ago, which again, he wrote right <laughs> like yeah. he's like yeah, he exactly. wrote these books and i'm like it's not like i'm not t- i'm not complaining that he hasn't gone back 20 years in history he doesn't understand stuff that he did and it makes no sense because he knows megan can fly he's drunk he's written her flying before it's weird it, it's it's one of those things that like speaking from the media criticism side that's like you know people like going about like the, how awful things like CinemaSins YouTube channel is in the mm-hmm. sense of like, oh, like not everything is has to be like not everything is a continuity error just because it doesn't make sense or you didn't catch something or something that, you know, not everything is whatever. But like, like this is genuinely a case where it's like, no, this is actually like, like it, it, it's it feels so much like plot contrivances for the sake of advancing the story when it's just kind of like okay was there a deadline where you know they ran up against it like we can't think of anything else go with this like what no because it's not like this is this is an on-time book it's not a fill-in issue it is in continuity of the story it's just that megan forgets she can fly because he needs a reason for her to be unconscious so that peter can carry her like that's the reason yeah I mean, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Because I mean, I I do want to sort of zero in on because I keep saying I hate this storyline and I should be specific about why. So Piotr has been on this journey, right? Like reckoning with his masculinity. And one of the things he's been reckoning with are like the toxic aspects of his masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I would say like his aggressive protectionism of like the women in his life um which is often unwanted and unneeded maybe one of his toxic traits and yet here the supposed character growth for him is an entire fantasy in which the most powerful arguably member of the entire team is nerfed for reasons so that he can be the like masculine savior dude with like a passed out woman in his arms and (laughs) also this is the reason he's gonna fall in love with her because he loved taking care of her when she was helpless So this is a real backwards journey for this character, which is exactly why I thought this would be so much more interesting if it was reversed and he had to deal with, you know, being less powerful than Megan, because that would have been significant character growth for him. And it also would have fit with the trajectory that Megan's been on in terms of like forging her independence, you know, having more Mm -hmm. of her own voice in the absence of Brian. It's almost like, God, that story was right there. And to fall into just doing the tropiest version of this that moves both characters backwards. Megan's (laughs) Megan's weakness is that she is unduly manipulated by emotions of others. So like her falling for him would make sense. Even I mean, Mm -hmm. it would be it would be a retraction of where of her character growth but at least it would be to a point that makes sense just because it's a thing to point out in this scene that you're talking about opens with them saying colossus mainstay of the excalibur team he's the newest newest (laughs) fucking member he's the of everyone in this issue he's been there the least amount of time pete wisdom has been on excalibur longer than colossus like literally colossus. everyone colossus, colossus the franchise's guy. greatest cash cow <laughs> like, like but, I mean, that I mean, speaks to it right because this is clearly right. like an attempt to build up colossus but i mean build up colossus in what way like it's just i really liked yeah. that character growth that he was having where he was sort of yes. reckoning with some of his toxic traits and this is just like oh feeding into it and it's frustrating to me because i want to like this character more than this 
Anyway, I don't know. Matt, I should come back to you for it. Like, I mean, were you invested at all in this in this Piotr and Megan story? And you're allowed to feel differently about it than I do. I mean, you're coming at it from a different angle than I am, too. So that's totally fair. I, I, I mean, in the sense of like, like, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, OK, I could argue that it's tropey, which it's like, I mean, yeah. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like it almost feels like calling water wet in some ways because it's also like it's it's a a 90s comic that is maybe not like one of the the more beloved runs out of everything there are not one of the more subversive ones in the same ways at least to my understanding and knowledge and you know so at that point i'm kind of just like okay like in in some ways i kind of looked at it going like i don't know what i expected but at the same time it's like i think like as as the person starting with this issue in theory i was far more interested about where they were going than like any of the actual events here and had i had more context even than i did like because i went back and looked at a bunch of the stuff afterwards Mm -hmm. but even if i'd had the build-up knowledge of all of this then like yeah i would also probably be fixating on the i don't want to go so far as to say character assassination on play here but definitely okay okay (laughs) i mean like megan megan being like i'm frightened are gonna (laughs) die i mean come on (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and it it just felt like i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna have a comparison to make between it and the uh and the uh what's it's the the kurt stuff later like the kurt and pete stuff but this is one of those cases where i'm like this feels like hearkening back to like an older era of like you know like film and media and stuff like in a bad way in my Mm. opinion well yeah i mean i was thinking about i was thinking about the trope and i mean there's so many versions of this i believe there's even one from tom king batman if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. um, of somebody carrying somebody you know through a wasteland to save them Mm -hmm. but the one i was thinking about because it's another boy girl romance one was like (laughs) Worf and Jadzia Dax and like Deep Space Nine and there's like you know she's hurt and he's carrying her and everything but it's just like if you're gonna do a trope the way you elevate it above being a total cliche is just to have some little twist to it right so as I recall the twist in that one is that he has to leave her to save her and that's like such a hard thing for him but I mean that speaks to his trust in her and that kind of builds their relationship and I mean it's not perfect it's tropey as well but it's something you know it's just like a little twist on the trope that is specific to those characters and puts them through a change that allows them to grow and this just is the opposite of that to me tropey isn't bad but lazy is yes. and i yeah. think that's like that's almost a better word for this in some ways is that like it feels lazy i'd even yeah. be okay with it being tropey and like not new if it made sense it literally literally the reason it bothers me is because everything about Megan means this shouldn't happen. I know. Yeah. Like, I know. if he's just carrying... I, I mean, pick an ex-character who doesn't have... Uh, if it's Moira. Moira is a human being with, you know, essentially cancer, right? Like, so that would make sense. You know, Megan is an elemental goddess. <laughs> I know. Who can fly? Again, she can fly. I don't understand why we're in this situation. <laughs> well... You said, Matt, that you wanted to draw some connections to the Pete and Kurt of it all. So let's go to that storyline a little bit. And I want to, I definitely want to bring you back into the convo, Andrew, to talk about masculinity and gender and stuff in this section. But um, yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that occurred to me that's potentially interesting about the Kurt and Pete thing is that those are two characters that have been on the team together for quite a while and haven't had a lot of direct interaction. And they're going on sort of a little bro trip here and getting to know each other a little bit. And we've talked previously in the pod that sometimes 
that can be interesting when you have two characters that have very embody very different versions of masculinity and seeing how they contend with situations and contrast each other and play off of each other can be interesting and in theory I'm maybe sort of interested in that here but I mean what are your thoughts on it Matt like was was this an aspect of of this comic that you found intriguing yeah so uh, I I commented just a second ago on the uh on the Megan uh, Colossus segment is kind of feeling like tropey in a bad way this section for me at the very least was like tropey in a good way yeah in the sense that i was just like okay like this is you know this is like the buddy cop or the spy thriller thing of like you know like you got the two guys like in the dark corner of the loud club where like you know they're not supposed to be there but they're looking for someone and one's a loose cannon and the other one's kind of just chilling in the back and thinking about stuff and like this is this stuff i was like okay 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 like if you're gonna give me you know 90s comics drama and tropiness and like just intrigue for lack of a better term i was like okay this is where you do it like this is the kind of stuff where I'm like, okay, this is leaning into the right aspects of things that we've seen before. Okay, okay. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I said I wanted to bring you back into it, Andrew. So, I mean, you're the one who's warmest on this comic. Were you intrigued by any of these Kurt Pete interactions? I, I like what they were trying to do. Like, like I think if we look at like an overall theme for this issue, it's um, establishing relationship dynamics between two yeah. characters that haven't really been paired up as much as they should have been. Like, I Kurt and Pete, that has to be done, obviously. You've got these two sort of um, characters in a position of power and leadership coming from very different perspectives in terms of their ideologies and their just way of approaching people. That needs to be cultivated. We need the Rain and Douglock thing cultivated. We've complained about that before. There's such a history there. Um, that we want that reference a little bit. And then honestly, Megan and Colossus, even though it wasn't well executed, I like the idea of at least establishing something between them as yeah. opposed to just two characters who are also there, right? Um, so no, I, I think there's a lot happening here in terms of laying groundwork, in terms of like which ones I like. I thought the Doug and Rain one was really interesting because um, understanding Rain moving past Doug and approaching Doug Locke as his own person. I think that's really important for some of the symbolism that Ellis was working with. Uh, and then, as we said, Colossus and Megan is is kind of dumb and, and not worth doing. But Kurt and Pete, I feel like it's sort of middle of the road, very much worth doing. But the execution to me is just, just okay. It's got room to build. We'll see how they do. <laughs> <laughs> there's like there's moments from it i like i mean i like i like the panels yeah. of kurt in the club like wearing his club clothes he's in like the tight black t-shirt and we have contemporary <laughs> music once again chemical brothers playing at the club uh which is a nice little touch <laughs> i loved that honestly like yeah. I, I as soon as i saw i was like note of like what song this is i was like god more comics need to do this honestly <laughs> I did like the specificity there. It very much locates us in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then I like the little thing at the end. I mean, it's very like stereotypical of like Kurt giving Pete the little speech of like, you can't go and do this on your own. We're members of a team, right? But like the specific sequence where like, first of all, Kurt wraps his tail around his mouth, which is, don't do that. Where has that tail been? Don't put it on someone's mouth. It's That's weird. Awesome. <laughs> Not in a fun way, but whatever. Pete grabs it and then you get like Kurt being going somewhere. Do forgive me for crashing this clearly private party. And he's like in his crazy pirate outfit. And you're like, <laughs> I mean, he kind of is ruining Pete's time. This is not a person who's equipped to go on a spy caper in this particular moment. But I mean, again, that was one of the sensible chuckles that this comic got out of me. And I was grateful for that. I mean, Kurt, pretty fun. Yeah. 
Oh, and I, I mean, I was, I was gonna say, and like the the banter between them, I thought like definitely actually does approach being pretty good in the club sequence as well. Like once again, it's it's tropey, it's cliche, but at the very least, it's like it's it's one that's tried and true. And like you know, I I love the scene about where you know Pete's just like, oh, uh, oh, let me guess, you're still pining over what's her face. You know, like if you ask me, there's more out there, and you know, Kurt's just like precisely why I didn't ask you, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, just, just, just the little bits of banter are like, okay, like this is like this is the kind of stuff that like actually does a good job of establishing kind of the both, mm-hmm. you know, like the camaraderie, but also the differences between the characters. And I mean, it's never a bad idea to pair like you know, you know, someone who's like just this unrepentant, constant hard ass with someone who's definitely a little more aloof and the like. And I, the, during those whole sequences, like I'm looking at Pete just going like, okay, John Constantine, like yeah. calm it down <laughs> a little bit. Well, like on that specific note that I think probably like my favorite part is like after Pete, you know, goes and tortures the sky and he comes back and like Kurt's just sitting there like, Hey, nice Wolverine impression loser. <laughs> <laughs> It was a great, like, taking the wind out of his sails kind of moment. He's just like, hey. (laughs) He was not impressed. He's just drinking his beer in the corner, watching Pete be an idiot. I I also noticed, like, like the one part, like, it's funny because, like, I think we were kind of alluding to, like, some of the, like, shall we just call it, like, casual misogyny of the the Colossus Megan storyline and whatnot. Like, I definitely caught the line of, like, Pete looking over at his target. He's like, oh, he's sitting over there with the two Silicon Sallies. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was rough. Yeah, I mean, Pete's been Pete's been a misogynist in the past. I would say that it has ramped up as a defining aspect of his character in the Rob era. He's become yeah. that much more unlikable. Well, but that is, I mean, I'm I'm willing to forgive that most because that is his character. It's it mm-hmm. like he's not accidentally a misogynist. The entire point of Pete Wisdom is that oh, what an asshole! You're supposed to watch, listen yeah. to him, and go oh, this guy, right? Like, what does Kitty see in him? That's, like, the point of the character, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. And, like, it, it's one of those things, too, that, like, again, as much as I, I did wince a little bit, I was also kind of like, yeah, it, it, exactly like you said, it really contextualizes the the two of them, especially, because, like, given, like, there's all, like, most of their dialogue in those couple of panels are all specifically about women, but you have Kurt being, real, like, really wistful, and then that's, like, you know you know, Pete being like, oh, there's plenty of them out there. And then that line and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. I know what this guy's about like very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Well, let's talk about the rain and Douglock scene because I'm sure you have some thoughts about it, Matt. I know you've done some work on transhumanism and that kind of stuff. So, so I'd love to see your perspective on it, but like, yeah, I mean, I liked, I liked parts of this scene. It has been a relationship, as Andrew said, that I've sort of been wanting to move forward, like regardless of where it's going to move forward to. And so I appreciate the effort here, but I don't know. Were you intrigued by the relationship between these fellow outsiders? Well, and yeah, and I was going to say, and Andrew's heard me wax intellectual about cyberpunk like way too often <laughs> in the, the during the course of the amount of time we've known each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I and it's interesting because like Doug Locke was a one that I like I knew nothing about going into this. And mm-hmm. I, I'm familiar with the Phalanx Collective because of like both the cartoon and like some of the X-Men that I have read. And I, I genuinely didn't know that there was a character present that was like a character that's like oh like an offshoot of them that effectively like is trying to be human and you know it's again it's another one of those stories that i'm like okay it's not necessarily original but again it's the good kind of cliche in that it's like yeah like this is a great kind of character to work with 
in terms of like, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, quote unquote human in a story already about outsiders. And in this case, like, yeah, I had to say, like, I was intrigued by like where this was going. And like, I got a sense of the history just from, you know, little lines like, oh, like, you know, she's she's been way cooler towards me about this even though I look like her dead friend compared to like a lot of other people and stuff. And I was her like, dead oh, this boyfriend. Is... it's underplayed. Yeah. It's her dead boyfriend. Got it. <laughs> like ah. like that, and that shouldn't matter. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like I said, it's, it's the kind of thing that I was, I was like, yeah, like what I find so fascinating about this, and this is like going to sound tangential, but like when I go back to older comics, and there's all the narration and the inner monologuing and the like, and just kind of like writing that's like, you know, it's not the kind of writing we get nowadays. I actually found this sequence, despite the fact that like, obviously Doug Locke's got his inner monologuing and the like, but I found like of the three storylines, this one was like the most subtle, if I could call it that, where they actually do a pretty good job of letting the lines speak for themselves and establish the relationship through that, as opposed to like having to constantly have like blocks of text doing it and i i don't know i was actually pretty entertained Aww. yeah i mean the thing that i like about this sequence is like mm, the interplay of their differences here and like i always have mixed feelings about like when people pet rain like a dog but you know i can accept <laughs> that it's been established that people do this and if she likes it then it's fine but still like the easy exchange of that, you know, she like jumps over to him in her like part wolf form and he gives her the like, you know, so casual, like scritch scritch that he doesn't even look right. And, you know, she's enjoying it. He's got the calm smile. And then on the next page, she's like, you don't have to use the image inducer. And then he switches into, you know, his not human form. We'll see. She switches into her human form. And so you see them kind of exchanging those identities in this comfortable space with each other. And that was sort of an indication of like maybe that subtlety that you're talking about right where some of this story is being told quite well in this instance maybe through the art and that's lending some depth to this scene that i did appreciate i hated it (laughs) (laughs) i like it's it's the one part of it's i actually love this exchange so one of the things that um you said early on anna that like it's a nothing really happens because we've seen all these beats before, but I will say that the beats happen better in this than some of the other times we've seen it before. Um, mm-hmm. The Kurt scene with uh, Kurt lamenting the loss of Amanda. This is the most emotion he's shown about her during her entire, their entire relationship. So good. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like at least I feel like that matters. And I like the, interplay between Doug Locke and Rain of, oh, maybe she does have feelings for me. Maybe she has gotten over the fact that I that I look like Doug Ramsey. Except, yes, they've had that conversation before, but this is the best of it. It's just that it, it, it falls a little flat because we've seen it four times. But if it were the first time, I think it would actually be really good. What I don't like about it is she gives him this pep talk about how it's okay to be different and then she turns into a regular person. If it were I, yeah, the other I way, I wouldn't have bothered. If, if she had walked up and said, like, look, Kurt is blue. And yeah, I look like a white girl, but half the time I'm a werewolf. And then she casually turns into a werewolf. And that gives him the courage to turn back into a robot man. Fine. 
but like you can be a robot man because I'm going to be human and I can pass. <laughs> you know, like that was yeah. my initial read on it. And then I tried to like have a more generous read on yeah. it. And I was like, okay, well, they're going back and forth. But that was my initial read on <laughs> yeah, it too, Matt. It, it and I was like, oh, that's a dick move. I, but like... <laughs> I get what they're trying to do, but yeah. I can't not read it that way. And and you know, the, the, the reason is throughout the run of Excalibur, um, so... In New Mutants, Rain was usually a human and and really, really feared quite frequently that her, the wolf side of herself. Like she did not. It was a curse to her. In X-Factor, she was mostly trapped in the wolf form until very late in her time with X-Factor. And then when she joined Excalibur, she had the ability to change back and forth, but seemed to be more comfortable being wolf girl most of the time. So, like, it works for me better if she can be, no, let's just all be ourselves. Let's be comfortable. Let's not put on airs for anybody else. I'm going to be wolf girl. You be robot man. That would have worked. But the fact that she's like, you can be yourself. I'm going to be human. You it, like it just it, it, it strikes me the wrong way. And I and I know it's not supposed yeah. to. I know it's supposed to be sweet. But like I but I actually love everything mm. else or almost everything else about this scene. But like that, that's the one that it's like, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? Why would you do that to him? It just feels it feels rude. Yeah, I, I that's a totally fair reading of that scene. And, uh, you know, there's a version of it that I think could work where they're both doing sort of teenagery things that aren't maybe the best thing to do. Cause I mean, you know, here reading her diary is a huge violation. Move, and I, but yeah, but I like it ooh. though, because it's what a teenage I like it boy too. might Me do. Too. Yeah. Me too. Because, yeah. because exactly. it's the most human thing he's done in the entire, yeah. the entire yeah. time on the team, yeah. because he is, because at first I was like, wait, why would he do that? He's a robot, but like, no, he is being human. This is yep. Doug Locke showing humanity and it's showing actual teen boy curiosity of, oh my God, what if she's talking about me? And it's like, no, dude, not everything's about you. She's talking about her mom is dying. And like, and then he, like, it, it ends too fast. Like, um, like he says, he's so sorry. I would like to see, you know, just a couple panels of him just feeling like, oh my God, what have I done? And it, and it like ends too quickly. But like, I, I like that he has the emotional moment there. So that I love. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, let's go to some final thoughts. We'll give us each a chance to circle back to something we maybe didn't get to talk about as in-depth or at all as we as we wanted to and i'll come back to you first andrew anything you want to circle back to so firstly i would like to say very briefly just because i'm keeping score megan today in this issue is both storm and destiny mm-hmm. and then <laughs> i would also like to point out the thing that was really bugging me um everyone on the panel here i think is, is has experience with very cold climates um pittsburgh has bad winters mm-hmm. um ottawa has terrible winters um, Anna's been different parts of the province and I'm from um, two hours from the sub tundra. And the, the way that this story handles exposure to the elements is just infuriating. Yeah. And the thing that bugged me most about Colossus, who's from Siberia and knows this stuff. He's from Ukraine that... now. We, we, we've established that. <laughs> no, he's Megan... from Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> Megan is freezing to death. She is getting frostbite on her feet, which are exposed. Uh-huh. He puts a blanket on her and doesn't cover her feet. Colossus says that when he turns to steel, he's immune to the temperature. Except but for he's he doesn't now freezing put her. his costume on her feet. Yeah. <laughs> the costume yeah. that is thermal regulating canonically. Yeah. It's also also he's a he, he's, right now a, he's now a giant metal man who's conducting the cold and drawing it out of her body because he's carrying her. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that it's they can salvage works. 
anything else from that plane like to help her because she's like there yeah. in her, like yeah. you know very exposed costume and like oh boy yeah that hurt they had too, nothing Andrew. else on that plane like um, so okay like no they, no they had a blanket but also the plane is very obviously on fire and there's a bunch of wood around so why are you going anywhere just hang out by this fire till she wakes up <laughs> that would that would have been better <laughs> There were a lot of, I mean, like, in the dark version of this story, like, again, it's like a Piotr hubris story where, like, instead of staying with the plane and trying to resurrect a radio and call for help, he just is like, I'm going to do the heroic masculine thing and he just gets her killed in, like, two hours. Like, (laughs) that's kind of where it should go, but anyway. God, Megan becomes his own personal Gwen Stacy, like, (laughs) Yeah. If only I understood thermodynamics. (laughs) In Soviet Russia, did not learn thorough dynamic. Listen, that place is called a school, and they did not have classes there. This is all Charles's fault, as usual. <laughs> Except that, like, as you point, as Andrew just pointed out, she he's from a very cold place. I this know. should be second should nature. Like the coldest. <laughs> he's from Bad. a place you could literally be exiled to during like certain parts of Russian history. Yeah. Because yeah, I know. <laughs> Mav, anything you want to circle back to? Yeah, so I said I liked most of, I mean, other than thinking about it too hard, I liked most of the Rain Doug scene, Doug Locke scene, I should say. I I really love how he handles the diary thing. What I don't like is a line that Rain says, which says when when she's trying to convince him that it's okay to look, look like a robot man, she says he looks unique. And she doesn't look unique. One of your best friends, one of your other dead best friends, looked exactly like that warlock is a very good friend of yours he is you know the best friend of the boyfriend that doug lock looks like you've seen people who look like that you are aware of the phalanx nothing is unique about him like it and it's one of those weird things that like it's forced because they want to have this moment and you could just not say that <laughs> that would be better i that was the kind of thing that i feel like it would work if there was maybe more of an indication that like she's saying it specifically to cheer him up in the sense of like, everyone has had one of those comments from a friend where they're like, I really like this thing about you where it's kind of like, okay, maybe they don't like it that much, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the the way she says it so absentmindedly and then goes back to her diary reading, I think, I think it's supposed to become through as a, no, she likes that he's different except for he's, you know, again, she knows other people who look like that, so therefore it's not actually all that different to her. And she just talked about how the the fact that she's a wolf girl and their friend on the team is blue, and, you know, she knows Morlocks, she knows, <laughs> she knows a lot of weird-looking people, so so it would be more, it's, it's fine for her to feel that way. Um, one of the things that I like most about, in modern comics, about the Krakoa era, is this there's so many weird deviant bodies in those comics and they've like gone out of their way to treat it as though people have attractions to different, Hey, this person has horns. That's hot, you know, like, or, or whatever. <laughs> like, I, like I love that the, the in mutant world that can happen. So I am okay with her having the conversation, but the fact that she absentmindedly calls him unique, much like calling Colossus a mainstay gave me one of those. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Go back to your dictionary slash thesaurus, uh, Ben, but <laughs> we love you. We don't want to be so hard on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> um, Matt, uh, I'm going to come to you for some final thoughts. I'm going to do a little thing from Stan's soapbox as my final thing, but I'll, I'll give you a chance to do the capstone on our discussion. Anything you would like to discuss that we didn't get a chance or anything that you'd like to circle back to? I mean, like there's we've covered so much but i don't know it's it's interesting like again i'm I'm trying to speak to the the perspective of like you know the potential reader who picked this comic up off the shelf having interacted with none of it before i like you know what i've i've done this with other comics before where they really did not actually get me in any way shape or form intrigued about like what was going to be happening further from this and for however much I just gave a hard time to all sorts of bits of the storytelling about this, I was genuinely interested in where it was going. You know, I, I do think that to some extent I have to give it some kudos for that because, you know, like like sometimes you jump in in the middle of a story of even like things that are well beloved. And that if that's your first experience, it's like, oh, I don't want to keep going with this. Or like, you know, this did nothing at all to hook me in. So I'm like, you know what, I guess... I have to admit they were at least doing something right. Love it. Love it. A burst of positivity at the end. Um, <laughs> I said I was going to go to Stan's Soapbox. We don't have a letters page this week, so I'm just going to do a little a little section from this. And uh, also with the relentless positivity is Stan. So in response to a letter, voice? I'm not doing do Stan's voice. voice. <laughs> Face true believers. <laughs> So in response to a letter from film lover, film lover Al Keltner of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who asks, what other Marvel films are in the works? And Stan says, would you believe 17, Al? There's Blade, Black Panther, Captain America, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Fantastic Four, Ghost Rider, Hulk, Iron Man, Silver Surfer, Spider-Man, Venom, and X-Men. And I'm saving some surprises for you later. Then there's Nick Fury and Generation X for TV, plus all our animated projects. We'll give you the dates as soon as we get them. And I was going to clown on him, but I was like some of these things actually were happening every I mean, single one of them. thing yep. is real like i, mean, I counted as you were going actually yeah <laughs> every single one of those things i mean if, assuming you consider silver surfer to be rise of the silver surfer every single one of the ones you mentioned came came to be in one way or another like within within a decade because oh. we're in 1997 now mm-hmm. so we're close to the first to x-men movie mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so well, well yeah but i mean but yeah i mean there was a gen x movie on t- on television there was a blade mm-hmm. movie that yeah. came out like the fantastic four movies came out like i believe everything well there was a nick fury pilot film that's awful and then nick fury obviously became the mainstay of the marvel universe 11 years later so not that far in the future but stan was plugged in i mean stan's job his actual job with marvel at that point was being in hollywood and trying to pitch stuff yep so that's yeah. that's what he was doing. So yeah, anyway. I was I was going down the list as you were reading it, and I was just kind of like, you know, if it yep. wasn't within the next decade, like almost all of those has happened. Mm-hmm. I know. I believe I know. every single one. There were ghost writers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just fun because Stan had been like saying the same thing since the seventies. Oh yeah. these things were coming, yeah. <laughs> and it just it just occurred to me that like I was just like, oh bullshit, and then I'm like, actually, we're close to the point where some of these things actually are legitimately mm-hmm. happening. I thought that was funny. well, like and quite literally where the X men movie is going mm. to blow the doors off of the whole thing like for the first wave yep mm-hmm. I, I credit blade i think blade had a lot yep. to- <laughs> yeah blade, blade gets under the radar for sure but yeah, yeah sure. but both of them yeah staying there's a meeting of the round table No, I can't.
All right, we will wrap things up there. Other than to say, Matt, thank you so dearly for joining us. Before we go, let's remind our lovely listeners of what you get up to. If you would like folks to find you online, whereabouts can people find you? And is there any past, present, or future work projects, anything else you would like people to look out for? Thank you very much for having me, first and foremost. This has been an absolute joy. And um, if anyone wants to find me online, um, there are there are a surprising number of Matt Poulters out there, but I seem to be the one that kind of like trickles to the top. If you're looking through academic stuff in particular, you can find me on socials at the Overmat, which is also my gamer tag. So if you like the video games, by all means, you can find me there as well. Um, right now, in terms of active work, I mean, I, I'm I'm in the midst of my dissertation, so that's uh, that's kind of where my head's at at the moment. But interestingly enough, just like to give some friends a little bit of a nod i've actually also guested a couple of times on another completely different comics related podcast which is the dr dc comics podcast hosted by two very good friends of mine one of whom i met the same year that i took andrew's class who they are based out of the yukon and have actually like won a couple of awards fairly recently and just celebrated their 400th episode um obviously it's a bit of a change from x-men but if you like dc comics i heartily recommend going on to their site and and checking it out you can hear me talk about uh things on they have an episode on the christopher nolan batman movies which it was my first appearance um and then you can also hear me talk about cybernetics and cyberpunk on uh one of their episodes about that in particular so that's probably the uh, if you want to hear me talk more about comics that's where i would recommend going hmm. awesome we will definitely put a link to that when the show comes out i follow them on twitter i can't say i've listened to the pod before but thank you for that recommendation i really should check it out and uh, they should just yeah, have just me th- on i'll do it <laughs> I haven't heard show, but I'll do it. Sure. They, they, they would probably love it, honestly. <laughs> On a perfect world, every show, every week. <laughs> anyway, thank you so, so, so much again, Matt. Oh, thank you all again, like tremendously. It's been a pleasure. Next, we'll be talking about Excalibur number 113, Faith. And I hope you're hungry for milk soup and very not hungry for questions about where that milk soup came from because Boba's here and she's damn well going to make sure you're well fed. <laughs> I'm so sorry. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, plus our holiday specials. You can find those at the Vox Pop YouTube channel and at our website and as always if you want to chat with us about Excalibur let us know you can reach out via our website goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via twitter slash x slash blue sky at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras thank you Mav and Andrew for surviving another experience thank you Matt for helping us keep the combo toasty thank you all for listening and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our truly epic theme song play us out that was a super fun app. I didn't think we'd talk about transit as much as we did, but mm-hmm. these things happen. 